If you have your Bible, open up to the book of James. Um, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one in a chair near you, uh, either in the rack behind you or in front of you or right underneath you. There should be a Bible there. And we are in that Bible in something called the book of James. If you're not familiar with the Bible, you can go to the table of contents and find James, and it'll tell you exactly where to go there. We believe that the Bible is God's inspired word, and so we take time every time that we gather to look at it and see what it has to say to our lives so that we might follow what God has to say to us. And we've started a four-week series in the book of James. We started last week, and we're going to continue it for the month of September and look at what God has to say to us through this man, James. Uh, Last week, we saw that trials, when we walk through trials, that as Christians, we can actually have joy when we walk through trials. That may be something foreign to you. That may be something that you don't think is even possible. But as Christians, we believe that you can have joy even when you walk through difficulty. And if you didn't, um, weren't here for that message, I encourage you to listen to it, download it, uh, to encourage you to let you know how you can have joy through trials. This week, we're going to look at a specific trial that at times we can find ourselves walking through. And that is the trial of temptation trial of temptation. So just to show of hands, let's just read the room a little bit. How many of you have ever experienced temptation? How many? No, some of you know, right? Uh-huh. How many of you just were tempted not to lift your hand up? And that was temptation, right? Now you're tempted not to do that. We all do. We all do. We all experience some kind of temptation in our lives. Temptation for our purposes, looking at, I'm going to define it this way. Temptation is the desire or the, um, uh, the enticement. It was hard for me to define temptation without using the word temptation. It's the temptation to, no, it's the desire to take a shortcut to have fulfillment of desires that God has given you. It's the desire to take a shortcut around in order to reach God-given desires that he has put within you. Temptation is that, that, that desire to take that shortcut, that option to take that shortcut. And, uh, and sometimes we are tempted to do that, and sometimes we give in to that temptation, and, uh, but James says you don't have to. And so we want to look at that this morning. When we think about temptation, I think of the story of the mom who was home with her two kids, a uh, little boy and a little girl, and she was, as some parents are, off in another room, and she, but she could hear the kids and, you know, in the other part of the house, and, and she could also tell, and you know when this is the case, those of you who are parents, that suddenly they were starting to get on each other's nerves, and you're in the other room, and you're like, oh, hopefully they work it out, you know, just, just going to let it be, but then things start getting a little louder, you know, and she's like, okay, mom, got to go, got to go step in, see what's going on. She walks into the room just in time to see her little girl, her little darling, pull her big brother's hair and kick him in the stomach. And the mom says, sweetie, 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 you can't do that. We got we to talk. Come out. She takes her aside, pulls her in the other room, lets her calm down, sits her down for a moment, and he uses this as a teaching moment, right? And she says, sweetie, she's thinking about what to say. She says, sweetie, listen, sometimes the devil, if you're not careful, he'll put ideas in your head of things to do, and you got to not listen to those ideas. you got to not listen to those thoughts when the devil puts those in your head. And the daughter looked at the mom and said, Mom, 
The devil might have told me to pull his hair, but kicking him was my idea. And actually, that little girl may have had a better theology when it comes to temptation than her mom had. Because James tells us where temptation comes from, and he also tells us where it goes. And those are the two things I want to look at briefly with you this morning. James chapter 1, I'm going to pick up in verse 12. We left off with verse 12 last week, but it's kind of a hinge verse for this section of the scriptures. It, It applies both to what comes before it and to what comes after it, which we're looking at this morning. Uh, James chapter 1, verse 12. This is what the Word of God says. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. Sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Lord, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would speak to us this morning through it, help us to hear what you would have to say to us, each and every one of us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Temptation, where does it come from and where does it go? Many times when temptation comes our way or maybe at a time where you have given in to temptation, the temptation is to blame someone else for where it might have come from, uh, for what it might have, uh, what, what it might have brought about in your life. We often Maybe don't want to take responsibility ourselves. We want to say it came from somewhere else. Some people would say, well, the devil made me do it. In James's day, he was writing to some people that would say, well, God made me do it. God made me do it. And actually, this thinking isn't that new to people in James's day. It was actually goes way back to the Garden of Eden with the first two people God created, Adam and Eve. And when Adam had sinned and given into temptation, God confronted him. And the man said, the woman whom you gave me to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate it. Now, sometimes we come to this and say, well, he's blaming the woman. And I guess he is, but look closer at it. The woman whom you gave to be with me. She gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. He may be blaming Eve, but he's actually also blaming God. He's saying, God, you gave her to me. God, you gave her to me. And so you have some responsibility here. 
And James wants, people in James' day are saying the same thing. So he says, look, when you're tempted, don't say God's tempting you. And you say, well, we don't do that today, don't we? Don't we? Don't some people find themselves maybe in circumstances and say, well, God put me in these circumstances and there was no choice and I had to act this way. And so giving into temptation is not really our fault, it's God's fault. Or people would say, well, God created me with this certain disposition and desire, so it's his fault that I'm acting this way or act on it. He has to take responsibility for it. It's not my fault. God created me this way. James says, don't make any mistake about it. When you're tempted, it's not God who's tempting you. Look closely at what he says. He says it very clearly. He says, don't say you're tempted of God, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. James is saying, look, you have to own it. That there are things in your life that you are going to be tempted by, but you can't blame anyone else for them. They're actually desires that exist within you. And those desires tempt you to take a shortcut, take a shortcut to fulfill those desires in your life rather than going around and taking the road that God would have for you. See, the desires I believe that James is talking about become distorted desires in our lives. God has given us wonderful things in our lives to enjoy. In fact, I think every pleasure that you and I enjoy, I agree with C.S. Lewis who says, all the pleasures, anything you and I enjoy has only been created by God. The devil doesn't create pleasures. The devil simply distorts pleasures that God created. You have a pleasure, you have a desire for the pleasure of intimacy and companionship. God says, I have a path and a place for you in the covenant of marriage for that to be lived out in the most intimate way between two humans. And the devil would say, no, you don't have to go that way. No, 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 this is a shortcut. No, you can get what you want without going down the road would have, God would have you walk. See, we have desires within us that are given us by God, but the enemy would try and distort them and say, no, 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 you can have it a different way. You don't have to go the way God has. You can take a shortcut. And James says, look, any temptation that you're facing, it's not because of what's outside of you. It's not because the devil made you do it. And it is not something God is tempting you with. It's desires within you. And so you have to own that. You have to take responsibility for that. We don't always want to do that in our world, in our culture. Our world and our culture wants to blame someone else, wants to put the responsibility on someone else rather than saying, this is mine. Lord, I need you to work on this stuff in my life. And when I go down this road that I shouldn't have gone down, then I'm the one that needs to repent of it. I think it's interesting in the day and age that we're living in with all that's coming to light in our current culture, through social media and other things, things that were in darkness for a while, abuse of children and women and power and these things that have come on and come on, light has been shined onto it lately. And we say, we know that's wrong. We don't want that. And, and, and I agree, you know, obviously as Christians, we would say, no, we don't want children and women and, and others exploited and, and, and abused. And we don't want that. That's right. But here's what's 
Always I come to, when I see our society exposing these things, I always come to the place where I think, yes, but what are you going to do about the desire? That we can say, stop it as a society, but how are you going to change a person's desire? Are you just going to push it into the darkness further? Are you just going to push it back a little further out of the light and they're going to continue to do what they were doing away from the light because the desire hasn't changed? James says, it's your own desires that are tempting you. Well, how do you change someone's desire? Are you going to just tell them, hey, stop that? How are you going to change that? I'm surprised that our society is so surprised why these things, when these things come to light. Because we've, as a culture and a society, in many ways said, look, there's no moral lawgiver and there's no moral law, but we still want you to live morally. And when someone takes that to the extreme and says, look, if there's no moral lawgiver and there's no moral law, I'm going to live how I want to live and I'm going to get what I want and I'm going to follow my desires. And why are we surprised as a culture when somebody makes that choice? James says it's your own desires that are leading you into temptation. It's within you. It's within you. And you have to be careful about that. Because he says if you're not careful about it, it's going to lead you someplace you don't want to go. Now remember, James is writing to Christians. He's writing to people who are following Jesus and so these are people who have a desire to know God and be with God, this is a desire to follow God. And he says, be careful because if you follow your temptations, here's where it leads. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. He says, look, here's where it's going. If you're not careful, you're going to take, take a shortcut. You're going to find out it's a dead end. Your shortcut is not going to be a shortcut. It's going to end up a dead end because it's not going to take you where you really want to go. So if your desires within you to fall into that temptation are going to lead you eventually to give in to sin and sin ends up in death. Sin ends up apart from God. It's not where you want to go. And so my question is to you is what desire is within you that is being used to tempt you to take a shortcut or go a different road. Because it's not always the same as the person beside you. It's not often the same as the person beside you. The person beside you may have complete different desires, and so their temptations to take shortcuts are different than yours. But you have desires that are in you that if you're not careful, that they're going to take you down a road that you don't want to go. You're going to end up someplace you don't want to go. It'll look attractive at first. It'll look like it's going to get you where you want to go. So you're a student in school. And look, you know the college you need to get into. And you know the GPA they require. And you know, you know what you're going to have to do in order to get into that school. And you've got a big exam, midterm coming up, and you're not ready for it. But you know God wants you to go to that school and you know God wants you, you know, you're going to be a doctor. You're going to, you got it all laid out in front of you. But if you bomb this test, it's all going to fall apart. So you're tempted to take a shortcut. Tempted to 
put some answers someplace or do something that is not completely honest to help you on that test. Your desire, that may not be the same desire for someone else. You're in a work situation, trying to get that next promotion, trying to get that next job, trying to reach that next rung on the ladder, and your boss says, hey, why don't you, why don't you, you know, refresh your resume, refresh your CV, you know, so send it in to me, and let's see if we can get that promotion through to you. And you go back, and you look at your resume, and it doesn't look that impressive. You look under schools, and you thought, well, you know, maybe we can, maybe we can prop that up a little bit. You know, I maybe took a class at this school that's prestigious. I could just put, you know, took some classes there. Or, you know, I've been to the Harvard Library. So I'm going to put, studied at Harvard. <laughs> Temptation, right? Temptation to circumvent, to not be completely honest, to go and get what I want the way I want it. I don't know what your temptation is. I don't know what your desire is. God wants, maybe you want a relationship. You want to be in a relationship so badly. And you want that companionship. And that is a desire. That is a godly desire. God's created you that way. It's not good for man to be alone. That's okay. But there's a way that God has laid that out. There's a way that God has put that out that you should go down that road. And you are tempted to circumvent it. You're tempted to say, no, 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 my way is the better way. Take a shortcut. James says, be careful. Because where that goes is sin. Where sin ends up is death. That's not where you want to go. That's not where you want to end up. Remember, this passage started out as, blessed is the man who endures trials. For he will receive the crown of life. And this particular trial is temptation. So sometimes you have to see the end result to motivate you to make the right decision in the meantime. It's like the group of middle school girls that I heard about. I heard about this group of middle school girls who during their break time, in between classes, they would go to the restroom. And while they were in the restroom, they would freshen up and, and everything. And they would apply lipstick to their lips. And then one girl, I don't know how it started, but at some point, one girl, I guess, like, it's how these things start, one girl, after applying the lipstick, would kiss the mirror. And so you know what happened after this. Every other girl that would do it would apply lipstick and would kiss the mirror and leave these lip prints all over the mirror. And the only other person that saw it, of course, is the custodian who comes in at the end of the day and has to clean off the mirror every day. And this kept happening. And the custodian's getting frustrated and he complains to the principal and the principal says, okay got an idea. We'll do something about this. Brings in all the middle school girls to the restroom. Principal brings in all the middle school girls, and she says, girls, I don't know who's doing this. I don't know when it's happening, but this has got to stop. You guys doing this in the mirror? The custodian's having to spend time at the end of the day cleaning this mirror. He has to, at the end of the day, do you know what he has to do to clean these mirrors? And he tells the custodian, would you show him, show them what you have to do? And he says, sure. And he goes and takes a brush, dips it in the toilet, and then wipes the mirror <laughs> all off. There were no more lip prints on the mirror. Sometimes you've got to see the end result to know what's really going on. And James does that. He says, look, when it comes to temptation, first of all, you have to know where it comes from. And it comes from your own. Don't blame anyone else. 
Don't blame God. Don't blame the devil. Don't blame your neighbor. Don't, it, you're, it's in you. You got to own it. Understand that. And then he says, look, if you're going to follow it, where it goes, the end result is it leads you into sin and that leads into death, separation from God. But he says, he doesn't leave it there. There's one more verse. There's another verse. He says, but there's something else you need to know. Verse 16 says this, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So here's what James says. James says this, look, it's true. Desires come from, temptation comes from desire within you. That desire will lead to sin. That sin will lead to death. But there is a way to have your desires met. There is a way to have those God-given desires met. And the way to have your God-given desires met is through the God-given gifts that God provides. He says every good gift and every perfect gift comes from God. What he's saying is this. Look, you want to blame God for your temptation. He says, don't be deceived. Here's the deception. The deception is God is the one giving me the temptation. God doesn't, you know, God has it out for me. God is setting me up. God is not for me. He said, you're being deceived. Every good thing in your life comes from God. Where else would it come from? You gotta, the devil's not giving you good things in your life. He's not interested in that. You and I are barely capable of, uh, of providing for ourselves. We, the grace of God, has provided every good thing in your life, God says. And so you do have desires in your life. You have desires in your life that are given to you by God, but God is the one, the ultimate one, who also will meet those desires in his way. Say it this way, temptation promises good gifts, but God actually gives them. Temptation will promise you these pleasures, but they come with strings attached. They come with guilt, they come with shame. And I know our culture and our society will tell you, well, guilt and shame are just moral constructs left over from a previous time. And I will tell you, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible would say that guilt and shame are a part of the moral image stamped on you, that you are the made in the image of God, and so you know right from wrong. You know right from wrong. As much as we try and ignore it, as much as we try and say, no, we don't have, you don't have to worry about that, you know it because God has created you in his image. And you're stamped with that on you. Temptation will promise you good gifts, but God actually gives them. God actually gives them to you. And so you can trust God. You can trust God to fulfill those desires that are within you. And you say, well, it's just not happening. I don't see it happening. Every temptation, just like I said last week about trials, will often bring you to a question, do you believe? Do you believe that God is good? Do you believe that God's better is better? Do you believe that God's long-term plan is better than your short-term solution? Do you believe that the eternal is more important than your immediate? Do you believe and trust God in your situation? Will you trust God's commands over your 
temporary and short-sighted decisions. Temptation promises good gifts, but God actually gives them. Takes a trust in God. C.S. Lewis, I mentioned him earlier, recognized this in a letter that he wrote to his friend Arthur Greaves on September 12th, 1933. He's talking about temptation. Lewis was a bachelor for much of his life, and if you know his story, he was no stranger to lust and sexual temptation. And neither was Greaves, his friend, who experienced same-sex attraction. And Lewis, in a letter to him, explaining why he should follow God and trust God, says this, he gives this illustration. He says, suppose you're taking a dog on a lead through a turnstile or past a post. You know what happens, apart from his usual ceremonies and passing a post. He tries to go down to go the wrong side and gets his head looped around the post. You see that he can't do it and therefore pull him back. You pull him back because you want to enable him to go forward. He wants exactly the same thing, namely to go forward. For that very reason, he resists your pullback or if he is an obedient dog, yields to it reluctantly as a matter of duty, which seems to him to be quite in opposition to his own will. Though in fact, it is only by yielding to you that he will ever succeed in getting where he wants. The dog believes the lie that the only way forward, the only way to get what it wants is to push ahead. Lewis says, you may go the wrong way again and again. God may forgive you as the dog's master may extricate him, extricate the dog after he has tied the whole lead around the lamppost. But there is no hope in the end of getting where you want to go except by going God's way. And here's where we end up. Given to temptation, and we end up wrapped around that lamppost. And God says, Come on, back it out. <laughs> we're going to go back and we're going to go where we need to go. And we say, no, I'm going forward. And we're pulling and we're pulling. And we're, or we go around the post again. And we get all wrapped up there. And God says, nope, you got to pull back. Follow my direction. And it doesn't feel like we're getting where we want to go. It doesn't feel like we're getting, ultimately, meeting the desires that God has put within us. But God is promise that if we will follow his way, that ultimately the desires that we seek, those desires, God-given desires, not the distorted ones, but the God-given desires within us will be fulfilled and met in him. John Piper puts it this way, your greatest pleasure will be found in God's greatest glory. I don't have time to unpack that whole statement right now. But the truth is that God has created you. He knows what ultimately will satisfy you. And you have to trust him. You have to trust him. And so do you believe? And will you trust? And ask our music ministry to return as we respond to God's word. Sometimes we, the shortcut can be deceptive. Which one of these lines is longer? The top one or the bottom one? Bottom one, sure about that? Yes. Top one, sure about that? Yeah. Got to be. 
Those of you that are saying that have never seen this illustration before. They're exactly the same, right? They're, yeah, really? Yeah, yeah, they are exactly the same. Uh, yes, here's the thing. We often look at something and it looks like a shortcut. It looks like, uh, looks like I'm going to get where I want to go. In our vision and in our eyes, we see it and we say, you know, that's the way to go. But it doesn't get us where we're going to go. Shortcuts become dead ends. Shortcuts become dead ends. God knows what you need. God created you. He'll give you what you need. One last scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. It says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So some of you are experiencing temptation right now. Where's your escape hatch? Because God promised he would give you one. God promised he would give you a way out that you may trust him in the midst of it. I'm going to ask you to stand and we're going to respond to God's word. You don't have the power within you to overcome temptation. God doesn't expect you to have it. It's God's spirit within you. It's God's grace upon you that gives you the strength to overcome the temptations that come your way. So we respond to God's word. If you this week, and some of us in this room have, if you have yielded to temptation before you, you know you have gone down a road that you shouldn't have gone down. You've taken a shortcut, fallen desires you shouldn't have fallen. The good news for you is God is gracious. He is patient. And if you will come and you will repent and say, God, forgive me. God, forgive me. He does. And if you will say, God, lead me. He does. And if you will say, God, help me to trust you. He does. Lord, would you help me not to follow that road and go down that road again. Some of us in here this morning just need to come and say, God, forgive me because I have fallen into temptation. Lord, forgive me. Some of you are facing a temptation this week. You know what it is. There's a difficulty and you you don't see a way out. You don't see a way out. The only way you see to go is a way that you know God wouldn't want you to go, but it looks like it's going to meet your desire and you don't know what to do right now that you would ask God to give you the strength, the courage, the ability to follow Him and to do what you know you need to do. The decision you know you need to make because you know that's what God would want you to do. I don't know what that is in your life, where you are, but I know God's speaking to some people right now. I'm going to ask our elders to come forward and they're going to be on either side of the altar here to pray with you. Maybe you have something that you just need to confess. The Bible says confess your faults one to another that you may be healed. 
Maybe there's something in your life that you need to come to one of these elder couples and just need to confess and say, here's where I have given into temptation and I need God to forgive me and I need God's strength to help me. Or maybe you need to come at this altar and kneel and pray and have somebody pray for you. I don't know about you, but I don't have many spaces in my week where someone will do that for me. I don't have so many spaces in my week. In fact, this is probably one of the only ones where I can go to someone and say, pray for me. And they're going to pray for me. Or you can come and kneel at this altar and someone will come and lay a hand on your shoulder and pray for you. I don't have many spaces in my week where that happens. This is one of them. And if you need to confess or you need to repent or you need prayer, then don't let pride keep you in that seat for these next few minutes. You come and you seek what God has for you. And don't leave this room with any sin or anything in your life that's between you and God that you don't need to take out of this room. God is here. I know there's some in this room that said, yeah, but I've tried. And I've given in again and again and again, and God is done with me in this part of my life. There's no way. I've tried. I asked God to forgive me. He forgave me. I did the same thing again and again and again. So I'm sure God doesn't want to hear from me again. We tell you, you are not beyond the grace of God. We tell you that when you think that way, what we're saying is the cross wasn't enough to cover my sin. That it was enough to cover other people's sins, but not mine. Jesus would have had to do something more. You come. You ask God to not only forgive you, you ask Him to help turn you from that and turn turn you towards Him. It's not pull you up by your bootstraps faith. It's fall on your face before God and say, God, do what only you can do. God, I'm yours. I've tried in my own strength, and I can't do it. So God, would you today, once again, give me your grace. Father, lead us as we respond to your word today. Guide your people. Guide our hearts. And may we respond in faith to your call to us. Lead us, Lord. 